This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Necessary Roughness, brought to you by Southfield Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. With 11-year NFL veteran, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, and captain of the National Championship Michigan Wolverines, John Jansen. And 10-year NFL veteran, two-time Pro Bowl offensive tackle, and Super Bowl champion with the Green Bay Packers, T.J. Lang. Now, here's John Jansen and T.J. Lang. Well, TJ, I know that the game against Buffalo on Thanksgiving Day didn't end the way anybody really wanted it to once they got going in the game. But quite honestly, I don't know that anybody looked at that game at any point preseason or during the season or during, you know, Detroit's three-game run and said, boy, they can beat the Bills. What was the feeling (laughs) like on the sidelines as that game went on? Yeah, I think... uh the confidence that I've seen on the sideline, the, really the past two games, um, has been the biggest difference. You know, where earlier in the season uh, they would dig themselves a whole little bit. You could see the dejection on the sideline. You could see guys coming over frustrated, you know, throwing helmets, just kind of staring at the ground into nothing, you know, not knowing what was going wrong, not knowing how to figure it out, not knowing how to turn it around. Where the past couple weeks, you uh, you see, like, there's a different level of expectation. You know, the guys expect to go out there and, hey, man, like, we're going to keep punching. We're going to punch back. We're going to make a play uh, to turn this thing around. And that, that was the difference. And, you know, I thought it was a good game. I mean, like Coach Campbell said afterwards, you know, it looked like they belonged. Yeah. And uh, I think that's just a huge step for this team confidence-wise. I mean, you go, you win three in a row. Um you know, people were kind of, well, Green Bay stinks. Well, Chicago stinks. Well, the Giants, you know, they're not really a 7-2 yeah. team. And you go against Buffalo, you got a chance to win that thing late. Uh, man, I think that I think that really turned a lot of heads. And I think that even from the locker room perspective, uh, probably gave those guys <clears throat> a, a big boost in confidence as well. Now, I know there's nobody happy or thrilled, you know, with a moral victory playing a Super Bowl favorite close. That's but not, it's not moral victory. Right. It's no. progress. Yes, it's progress, and it's letting you know how you stack up against the best. And, you know, you, you lose on a last-second field goal to the what's, you know, a lot of people think is the best team in the NFL, the Super Bowl favorites. I think you stack up pretty well. So yeah. um, just the way they've been playing, the style of football they've been playing uh, the last couple weeks has been impressive. And, um, you know, this little mini bye week came at a good time, too. I think you get a couple guys back healthy. You know, hopefully we're getting closer to see Jamison Williams, you know, maybe Romeo Clark. You're at, you're hoping to add even a couple uh, more important pieces for this last six-game stretch where, you know, I think 
We are, I, th- I think anything outside of three and three to finish would be disappointing. Oh yeah, there's a chance they could be even better than that if they continue to play the way they have they have the last couple of weeks. So I, I do want to get into the remainder of the schedule, but and in, in, we're not going to spend too much time on the Bills game. Just a few aspects of it and some a couple of negatives, a couple of positives. But it's been so long ago because you mentioned this little mini bye week. We're not coming at you till midweek the following week. Um, but I want your your take on two things. And let's start with the end of the first half and time management, getting down to uh, the two-minute warning, the plays that were run. And I had a chance to talk to Dan Campbell on Tuesday morning, and his reasoning, you know, they're they're down at the Buffalo 2 trying to go in and score, and they run a couple of plays, first and second at the Buffalo, first and goal at the Buffalo 2, with 2.08 left. And a lot of people are saying, why didn't they take it down to the two-minute warning, run a few more plays after that? And the more I look at it, and especially when I hear about Dan Campbell's reasoning, like you're on the two-yard line. If you can score on that first down play, then you score. They had all three timeouts. Yeah, You get an extra timeout with the two-minute warning. And yes, I understand Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills, how good they are at the end of the first half, at the end of the second half, and we've learned how good they are with 21 seconds left. But... Like I, the more I think about it, I don't have as big of an issue with the clock management and trying to score on first down, even trying to score on second down and steal that extra timeout to be able to get the ball back and maybe get another field goal. Yeah, I, d- I didn't have a huge issue with it because you understand the thought process there of Dan Campbell. You figure, hey, two minutes left. I think even Buffalo had all three timeouts, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, they did. Um, you're already figuring that Buffalo's probably going to have enough time anyways. So I, I totally get the thought process of trying to steal another possession before the end of half, knowing that they get the ball coming out to start the third quarter as well. Um, but I thought at the time, you know, when when the game, the way that what game was going, you know, you're, you're kind of battling, you're up seven nothing, you're tied. Buffalo goes on to score, you know, fourteen unanswered. Um, you know, there there was a play there. I think it was actually where. Von Miller got hurt, and they had a second and three at the nine um, <clears throat> with a chance to get a first down. They could have ran the clock out on that play. Uh, instead, they run that play, uh, incomplete pass. Now the clock stops. Then you have another uh, a play. I think it was DeAndre Swift where he got, the play got reviewed. Clock starts running. I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking on that second and three, actually, there was probably two – 236 left and they had you know 39 seconds on the play clock that to me was a situation where you run it down because now you're looking at more plays now you're looking at um hey you run it down okay we're facing second and three from the nine you know we pick that up they're taking a timeout now we got three more plays at least you're going to make them burn the timeout yeah um so there that, that for me felt like hey it's an opportunity to get in the end zone um you know, and tie that game up, but it's also an opportunity to get in the end zone and knowing you're going into halftime uh, pretty much with a tie ball game, uh, right? Because I, I think at that point, you do the math, Buffalo would have probably had 30-some seconds left. Now, we saw what he did at the end of the fourth quarter. <laughs> right. There's still a chance he gets the field goal. Um, 
But I didn't hate that one as much, only because I understood that you know Dan Campbell. Hey, he's got all three timeouts. You want you know? Let's see if the defense can get a stop. We get a stop on first down. Maybe we get a sack on second. You know, we're an incomplete pass, and we need one stop to get the ball back. Maybe we're going up. You know, seventeen fourteen at the half. I get the I get the understanding, and uh, it, it in my mind though, it didn't really make a big difference in that game. Uh, Buffalo ended up going on a drive anyways. I think they only had to burn one of their timeouts, yep. which was after the sack, uh, and kicked a field goal. So um, that, to me, wasn't a turning point. I, I, I really felt like you know the missed opportunities there. You talk about you know the, obviously the missed field goal should have been a chip shot for Badgley. It was like a thirty yarder. Um, you saw the fumble, you know, at midfield with yep. Jamal Williams. I mean. You know that's that's a point in that game where you got Turnovers some momentum. Are always costly. You got some momentum. You know that's probably taking points off the board. You look at the safety. Uh, you know that Jared Goff took and dude. I mean, <laughs> I, I know people want to they want to bash the play call. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with the play call. No. I had a problem with the lack of athleticism. With the, with the, stat, with the statuesque standing in your own end zone? Dude, I do too. It was like somebody grabbed his shoelace <laughs> and tied his shoes together and he just couldn't yeah, get Yeah, he just couldn't there. do anything. And to me, it's an awareness thing. Like, you know Big you have... Hard. Like, you have Dan Skipper, you know the protection, you know he's one-on-one with Ed Oliver. There's got to be a time clock in your head when you're standing in your own end zone. Now, did Skipper get beat? Like, yeah, he got beat inside on a good rush, but that's the play that Jared Goff should be able, at least be able to escape and get the ball, uh, get rid of the ball, right? Um, and then the last play, man, I thought the last play, the third and one, was the difference in that game was Josh Allen's last throw and Jared Goff's last throw. Jared Goff had DJ Chark open, which probably would have been a touchdown uh, to give you a four-point lead with 20 seconds left, and like all season, we just haven't, we, he didn't connect on the deep ball. You know, he, he put it in a bad spot. He put it four yards outside of the receiver when you don't throw a back shoulder fade when your receiver's got two steps on a defender. That's an over-the-top yeah. throw all day. Uh, and you look at Josh Allen's last throw. It was the one, you know, the first play uh, there with 20 seconds, 22 seconds, and he throws a rifle down to Stephon Diggs, and um, it was just a hell of a play. That turned out to be the difference in the game. But I don't, I don't think that there's any reason uh, to be dejected. You know, you, you battled a, a very good team for – you know, 60 minutes, and they had the ball last. They made one more play than you did. Yeah. Now, the other one that I think in in, in looking at your Twitter feed, um, I think you and I are in agreement with the, the third and one at the end of the game where Jared Goff drops back, tries to throw the ball to DJ Shark. It's incomplete, fourth and one. They kick the field goal to tie it up, and that left the 21 seconds on the clock for – for Josh Allen to go down uh, and create an opportunity to win the game, which they did. I didn't have a problem with them going for the kill shot. Um, I saw some of your reaction on Twitter. It didn't sound like you did. I don't want to put words in your mouth if you had a chance to, t- to, to think about that since then. But, you know, when when you're looking at the opportunity, you know, even though you missed a field goal earlier in the game, you're still within field goal range. Take that kill shot, try and put a touchdown on the board because of the the lack of time. Instead of allowing Josh Allen to get down in field goal range and win it or tie it up if you were to just kick the field goal, then, you know, go out there and win the game. Yeah. No, go I, up four. I, I still feel like it was the the the, the right call. Um you know, and, and even looking back on that play, you had one on one coverage and you know, St. Brown, maybe you could have hit him underneath 
for the first down. I don't know. They probably wouldn't have scored on that play. No. Um, you know, but they're, he was facing empty pressure. You know, they brought seven guys. You had six blockers. And he had to get rid of the ball quick. Um, but right there, I thought that was a chance. That was the best shot I, I thought they would have had uh, for the rest of that possession to take a shot at the end zone. Because even if you pick up the first down there, you know, you're burning a timeout. You got one timeout left with, what, 25 seconds. Uh, Buffalo's not bringing empty pressure, right? Yep. They're going to back up and they're going to play defense. So there's a good chance, you know, you're, you're going to play for a field goal anyways. I didn't think in that situation – you wanted to go against over in overtime against that team. No. I thought you got a look that you've probably practiced all season long. You knew Buffalo was bringing empty pressure on third and shorts and fourth and shorts. You get a guy one on one. He runs a great route. You just didn't connect. I think look if you want to have a conversation about you know trusting Goff in that situation, make that throw. I'll have that conversation. But as far as the play call. NFL quarterbacks should be able to throw a go route to wide receivers. And it just to me, it's been, it's not only that play, it's been all season. How many times have we seen that, uh, you know, with Chark early in the year? How many times have we seen that with Josh Reynolds, you know, yeah. where he's running a go route and the ball's, you know, three yards outside and the receiver's got to turn around two or three times to find it? Like there's just, there's no connection there. So if you want to talk about, you know, why do you trust Goff to make that throw where he hasn't made it all season? I get that. But, that was just a situation. We got a kill shot. They're going to give us a chance one on one. Let's see if our guy can make a play. And Jared Goff didn't. Well, and, and so here, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. And and <laughs> about Goff and, and the fact that it was a bad throw. How much? I mean, we've been in meetings too, where you, you hear coordinators, you, you hear wide receiver coaches, tight ends coaches, uh, even more that when they see a blitz coming, like you got to look. You got it. You you got to look sooner than you normally would. Yeah, I I think that there's not a great pass, not on the mark, not even close. But as a receiver, when you look in and you see that they're bringing pressure, because it was no secret they were bringing pressure. They were up on the ball. Oh yeah. And you look in and you say, okay, they're bringing pressure. I might have to look a, a split second sooner. If GJ Shark recognizes the blitz, looks a little bit sooner, he could have made the adjustment to catch that ball for the first down. Probably. And, you know, when you watch it in live time, I thought, yeah, DJ Chark, when he ran the go route, he had his guy beat. Yeah. Uh, by the time he put his hand up, you know, uh, to signal golf that he was, you know, open, yeah. the ball was already in the air. So, yeah, that that's more of an awareness thing as well. You yeah. know, you, you tell your wide receivers all the time, um, you know, hey, if you see empty pressure, that ball's coming out quick, right? And even, you know, on the flip side, you know, I thought Buffalo played the play well because they knew that ball was coming out quick, too. That's why you're getting man coverage. So it, it probably, you know what? I mean, <clears throat> DJ Chark missing. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What, four weeks? Four or five weeks, you know, not practicing, not being available on game day. You could probably talk. Maybe there's a little bit of lack of chemistry, uh, you know, just a lack of practice reps on that throw between those two guys as well. But in my mind, I mean, I put it, the quarterback, he was facing empty pressure, but he still had enough time to adjust to what DJ Chark was doing. And I think even the coaches, you know, Dan Campbell said, yeah, Chark ran a good route. You know, he ran past his guy. Um Cough, you just expect an NFL quarterback to, to adjust yeah. to what your receivers are doing and, and make a play. All right, so positive. Um, five plays for James Houston, two sacks. They brought him up. They brought him up again. It sounds like he's going to be here maybe for the end of the year uh, on the on the active roster. Um, are you excited about what you saw? I mean, it's a stupid question. Obviously, the answer is yes, two sacks and five plays. But do you think that he can be a threat as a either a path rush specialist or a depth guy on the roster? Yeah, I think he can be a third down rotational guy. You put him on the edge and you know, think man, go get the yeah, just go, man, speed rush because he he had a couple rushes where I think it was the first sack. Um, you know, his bend ability, you know, the tackle, he just couldn't punch, get his hands on him because. Houston's like a foot off the ground and he stays on his feet and he bends that corner and it's like, oh my goodness, you know, like that's like some Dwight Freeney-esque type type bend and and, and agility and flexibility. It was just, you know, and I'm not putting those kind of expectations on that kid. It was just that kind of rush where, you know, he he was just, it's crafty, right? And I think, you know, even talking to a couple guys after the game, like, you know, the tackles like Sewell and Decker, like those guys have been saying it all year. Like this guy's got some shit to him, man. Like yeah. he's he's a squirrely little dude. Like he's hard to get his hands on, you know. So I thought, yeah, you know, for him coming out and 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 making an impact on that game in limited time, um, obviously exciting, you know, extremely exciting. And and that's that's maybe the biggest point for me of you know just the optimism and and you know visual proof of improvement is that you see these young guys stepping up and making plays man you know and he he's just another guy that 
you've added to that list of already, you know, pretty impressive group of first and second year players that they have. So uh, that would be huge. You know, that would be huge if he can continue to develop and continue to, you know, make some plays and, and rush on third down and, and be a productive player off the edge. Uh, because that's, you know, now you, now you find a way to move other guys around, right? Maybe mm-hmm. you can move Hutchinson more on the inside, uh, you know, to find matchups with the guards and, and with the center. And, uh, you know, that's something that they haven't had is really that interior rush. So, you know, with James James Houston, I mean, I don't know if I expect to see two sacks a game on yeah. the kid. That's, yeah, two sacks that's a little per unre- five yeah, for five, a 40% <laughs> sack rate. That's a, that's a little ridiculous. But, um, you know, he, he definitely provided a little bit of spark. And from what it sounds like, uh, didn't really surprise too many people there in Allen Park. I mean, he's, it sounds like he's been, you know, showing, showing off in practice all year. So let's go back to what you were talking about at the start of the of the podcast where you mentioned the the feeling on the sidelines in regards to coming back to the sidelines whether there's a mistake or after the end of the game the disappointment of getting to that game and expecting to win you know you come off of three games and you mentioned this I think it was last week about hey when you go to New York there was a different feeling getting off the plane. Like these players aren't just hoping to be in the game. They're expecting to win this game. And now all of a sudden, and most people didn't expect them to beat Buffalo. Really excited to, to, to see the progress of competing with a team that's you know got Super Bowl aspirations. Now you've got six games left. And you've got, you got two at home with the Jags and the Vikings. Two on the road, Jets and Panthers. And then you finish up with two division games, the Bears and the Packers. I think the minimum expectation is that you're going to go three and three, which gets you to kind of what everybody was saying at the beginning of the year, seven wins. Yeah. I expect that there's going to be four wins out of those six games. Where do you land on your final six games expectations? Well, I think if the last four weeks, uh, if you want to prove that, you know, none of that was a fluke you should win four of those games and you, <laughs> if i want to be a dick i'll say you should win five of them right well, yeah. i think I there's... Mean, you look at that and you say well there's there's a path to six wins. yeah there is and i think that's getting a little carried away i mean that I, it's probably getting carried away because that's hard to do and i still look at this football team and i say yeah they've been playing better um do i think that they're you know physically more talented than the the rest of the six teams on this on the schedule no but you know if you keep playing good football you can beat anybody and we just saw that against the bills you know you're one play away from beating a a very good team now i'm just saying you want to prove these last four games weren't a fluke right you go three and one you almost go four and oh there um you you should take care of business your home games at least uh which is the bears jags and look i think the vikings are beatable i think they've proven that you know all season long i mean they've made a couple more plays uh you know to win a couple close games but that's a game in my mind i I look at the schedule john and i say which team are you afraid of right i mean the jets yeah they looked good this past weekend with mike white a quarterback gave him a little spark but is that a team you're necessarily afraid you know what i mean the panthers the bears packers viking like nobody there's a chance (laughs) there's a chance you could win them all you know if you continue to play how you've been playing the last four games now that's gonna be the challenge you get those contributions from james houston like i mean and i'm not saying two sacks per game but you put pressure on opposing quarterbacks 
and you get him moving around the pocket. We know what Kirby Joseph has done. Hopefully, Jeff Okuda with this little mini bye week is back from you know from concussion protocol. But then Romeo Aquara, Jamison Williams, like there are reserves. There's help coming. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of went off the deep end a little bit yesterday this past weekend going through the playoff predictor and doing all the <laughs> schedules and what the Lions have to do, you know. Four wins, I don't know, you know, eight's probably not going to get you in, but maybe, you know, if you get five well, okay. there, a bunch of teams. And it's like, I don't want to get ahead of myself. No. Uh, but also saying that, I mean, this team has given us a different, you know, different hope to let with the way they've played the last four weeks. Here's what Lions fans should hope for, that the Seattle Seahawks, because you don't have that tiebreaker with them. Seattle has to play the Rams twice. So if they beat the Rams twice, it does two things. It helps with, uh, obviously, the draft pick that we are getting from the Rams. Hopefully it's a top-five pick right now. It looks like it's three. And you put them in that five spot, or that six spot, because I think Dallas or Philly, whoever ends up winning that division, is going to be the five spot. So you get five-six. Now there's one spot open. That then comes down to the Giants, the Commanders, in the Lions. Both of those teams are ones that the Lions have beaten. So if you're going to be in a race for that number 7, you know, wild card spot, you at least have that advantage. And a lot of your game the three losses, three of the losses that you have are against AFC teams. All right, so you look and you say, "Okay, well, how are you going to win tiebreakers? You've got, you know, the Vikings You've got the Panthers, you've got the Bears, and the Packers. So if it comes down to a three-way tie and you win those games, now all of a sudden it's division, you know, in-conference opponents. Yeah. You, you, you win that one, plus it's head-to-head if it's just one way or the other. Yeah. Plus they're going to play each other a couple of times and, and you know, somebody wins, somebody loses. Yeah. But that's kind of the in, – in a, in a very broad look, the picture if – you get into that conversation. I'm going to wait a couple more weeks before we start talking about, you know, possible playoff implications, but that's where you are. Yeah. And you look at, you know, the teams that if you're, if you're hoping to make a run, you know, I think it's you, you the Seahawks, the Giants, uh, the, the commanders, sorry, I almost said the R word. Um, you know, those are three teams that are ahead of you that you're going to need probably two of them to, you know, fall apart, at least one of them to kind of just start falling apart a little bit. And, and you look at the Seahawks, yeah, they have the Rams twice. You know, that would be, I mean, we all hope they beat them twice just for our own draft pick's sake, but they've got the 49ers. They've got the Chiefs. You know, they're on the road to the Jets. You even look at the Giants uh, and Commanders. You know, I think they still have to play each other uh, twice as well. You know, and and the Giants still have to play the Eagles twice. You know, they have to go to Minnesota. So there's a chance that you could get the Giants falling apart. There's a chance you could get uh, the Seahawks starting to lose a couple games. They just yeah. lost this past weekend to the Raiders. Uh, Washington's a team that, you know, they're 7-5. and five. It's kind of a weird 7-5. and five. I know they've won, gosh, I think six out of the last seven. But, you know, they've got the 49ers. They've got the Cowboys. Like I said, there's a chance that uh, the, the schedule for the, the Lions set up, sets up in a nice way um, for you to just go out and and I don't want to say this necessarily yet, but there's a chance that they could end up, you know, three, four weeks from now, just really controlling their own destiny. And who would have thought we would have been in this position, you know, four weeks ago? I mean, it's just insane how how quick things change. But it's, it goes to how front loaded this season is. And, and, And it also kind of shows the risk that you run of, 
playing the schedule game in the offseason because the Eagles right now with the best record in, in football – you know, you start off with them, and you know, we you you win against the Commanders, but they're a seven win team. The Vikings leading the division, the Seahawks. Nobody predicted the Seahawks were going to be anything this year. The Patriots, the Cowboys, the Dolphins, like all of those teams, and then the Giants, another team that you beat. But this was a very front loaded schedule in terms of teams that have found success this yeah. year. Yeah, and there, and you know, when it all comes, you know, when it's all said and done. You know, I got a feeling we're going to be sitting here in, in a, you know, six, seven weeks from now saying, damn, you know, could have gotten that Minnesota game, you know, week three, whenever it was, or damn, you know, man, we almost had, you know, almost had the Seahawks. Like those are the losses earlier in the season that, you know, at, at the time they don't seem like they have a huge impact on the season, but you know, if this team finishes out eight, and nine, you know, if they go win four of the next six, you know, we're all feeling good about ourselves, but we're always going to look back at that one game, you know, that, damn, you know, we would have won that Minnesota game, you know. <laughs> now we would, you know, have a chance to be sitting in the playoffs. I don't know if we're going to be there, you know, in six weeks or not, but I do know if the way, you know, if this team continues to improve that the way they have over the past month, um, you know, I, I would have a hard time seeing them be, you know, you know, big underdogs against yep. any of these remaining six teams. Yeah, well, uh, the first of those six winnable games against Jacksonville this weekend. When we uh, return next week, hopefully we're talking about a win and and a possibility of, of you know, a, another division opponent on the horizon, and we'll, uh, we'll break that down next week. We want to thank you for listening. Uh, in this season of thanks to Necessary Roughness, we'll come at you next week.